Hi, everyone. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today, we're going to be covering the second of the three films in which some sort of plant life is the center, the hero, maybe even the villain of the piece. Last week, I covered Little Shop of Horrors. Today, going back a few years from 1982, it's Swamp Thing. It's a science fiction horror action film. It's PG rated because of some brief nudity, violence, and language. I think it would probably be PG-13 today. The runtime is an hour and 31 minutes. Adrian Barbeau is the main star. Dick Durek, Louis Jordan, Ray Wise, Reggie Batts, Nicholas Wirth, David Hess, Don Knight also appear in the film. The director is Wes Craven. Yes, the one who created Nightmare on Elm Street. And he also writes the screenplay based on the DC Comics book of the same title. This is a bit of an odd choice for the character of Swamp Thing to be one of the first comic book superheroes to get his own movie in this day and age, especially in the wake of the success of Superman and its first sequel, Superman 2. The producers did have the rights to also make a Batman film, but there were concerns about the budget to try to do that project justice, and that had them test the waters, the swampy waters, with Swamp Thing, which could be done much more economically. Very few people outside of the comics world would probably have heard of the character, and those who had probably couldn't tell you the difference between Swamp Thing and his closest counterpart in Marvel Comics, Man-Thing. Man-Thing debuted in print just two months prior to Swamp Thing back in 1971, so further confusing the two characters because they came on the scene around the same time. I mixed them up all of the time in those days as well. And even more curious is that the character's comic had been canceled after a short 24-issue run, It ran from 1972 to 1976. Sales had plummeted sharply after the departure of the creator Len Wein and artist Bernie Wrightson after those first 13 issues. So Swamp Thing wasn't much of a presence, even within the comic book circles, for six years prior to the release of the film. As I mentioned, this one's written and directed by Wes Craven. He's that shockmeister who delivered such low-budget chillers before this film, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes kind of classics within the genre for genre fans. He gets his chance here at a more mainstream wide release with Swamp Thing. This is a semi-horror science fiction premise that's born from the pages of those comics. Craven's original take would be that the story would be very dark, ultimately very sad for the character, but with some genuine wit along the way. However, after the vibrant and uplifting tone of those Superman films, those would be successful and given people's notions of superheroes as something that should be campy you know tv shows like batman and wonder woman and the incredible hulk which kind of resembles this property quite a bit those were much more campy at least in the minds of viewers they thought comic books should not delve too deeply into thought and audiences really didn't want to have that much emotional or intellectual depth in their popcorn fare. This is a comic book premise still at its core. It has a campy attitude that will make some viewers recall the less ironic tone of those science-gone-wrong films of the mid-20th century, especially in the 1950s. Adrian Barbeau here is playing this government agent named Alice Cable. She's sent to the Louisiana swamps, although this film was shot in the swamps of South Carolina. She arrives at the tail end of a top-secret experiment at this well-guarded laboratory that's housed in seclusion in that swamp. Dr. Alec Holland, played by Ray Wise, he leads this experiment that looks to combine plants 
and genetically alter them and use them in order to rehabilitate animals. Louis Jordan, he plays the lead villain role of the film. He plays Dr. Arcane, who wants to take the product of the experiment for his own purposes, and he utilizes a well-armed troop of mercenaries to lay seize on that lab. And in the resulting skirmish, Dr. Holland becomes his own subject when he accidentally applies his potent solution onto himself when he's on fire, and then jumps into the swamp. He's left for dead outside, only to eventually morph into this giant man-like beast made of the swamp's vegetation, still possessing a keen intellect and the strength of ten men. Arcane needs the last notebook that Cable has in her possession, so he orders her to be caught at any cost, but the hulking green thing, that swamp thing, won't allow Cable to come to harm. Won't say any more about that. So because of the film's influence with some of those low-budget science fiction and horror that you saw in cinema in decades past, Wes Craven manages to get away with some of those cheap effects, the costume work that are reminiscent of those. But the real reason why there were cheap effects and cheap costumes was not because of homage so much as because of continuous cuts to the budget during the production that had caused Craven to do persistent rewrites and ultimately getting the film made for under $3 million overall. The lack of budget is perhaps the biggest drawback of Swamp Thing. It was made very cheaply and it looks cheap a good deal of the time, especially in those moments when it really should count. This is especially true in the action sequences in which there are stereotypical goons who shoot machine guns that never really hit their target. You know, they were striving for a PG rating here, so... And that culminated in them having to tangle on some not very well-choreographed combat against this man who's obviously in a rubber suit. You know, maybe a good deal of the mystery as to how Swamp Thing looks might have been better choice, maybe kept in the shadows more or less. He's definitely much more brightly shot here. But I guess Craven risks losing the humanity of the character for the purposes of the romantic elements that he had planned for him and Alice Cable. Now, the film would also seem like an example of diminishing returns, but the third act gets a second win with the introduction of this teenager named Jude. He's played in no-nonsense fashion by a bespectacled Reggie Batts, who was this local kid. He was not a professional actor who lived in the area that Craven took a liking to, and in a way, it works well with the campier tendencies of Craven's style here. The Swamp Thing also meets his match in a sword-wielding wolfman creature, another obvious man in a full-body costume that's most certainly not Louis Jordan, although he's supposed to be. And he must battle that wolf creature in and around the swamp, although their battle is fairly short, as to feel anticlimactic, and it's somewhat dated by this slasher movie False Ending. Though, to be fair, Wes Craven was considered a slasher film director in those days, and the tie-in is further solidified with the use of Henry Manfredi's score, which is also, for a lot of people, strikingly similar in parts to his work on the first two films in the Friday the 13th series. The themes of Swamp Thing follow the examples of other misunderstood monsters, ones that are more of an example of admirable human traits than the humans that are around them. In this case, Swamp Thing is a representative of the natural order of things. He sees beauty in the swamp, while Arcane wants to exploit that nature for his own empowerment. By becoming one with the swamp, the creature is elevated to the defender of that swamp. He wants to rid it of the human pests that might serve to destroy the balance of those thousands of years of growth and symbiosis that have created the swamp. The end of the film would suggest that the former scientist accepts his role as the thing from the swamp instead of trying to think that he's going to go back into the lab to search for a cure at any cost. You know, Swamp Thing is probably not going to be a film that's going to be deemed as a truly good film by most people who see it. But there's still a watchable, goofy charm to it. There are moments when the film actually does work. 
and that's thanks to some decent character acting as well as Wes Craven's ability to find humanity underneath his schlocky premise. That's especially true in the burgeoning romance that happens between Swamp Thing and Alice Cable, and which has a lot of imagery of her being carried around by this hideous man-beast of the swamp, a la Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, and there's this suggestion of Bride of Frankenstein along with it. And there's also this capturing of the exploitative damsel in a cleavage emphasizing nighty who's bound in dank chains, who relies on the beast to save her. That will remind some of King Kong and maybe some of the more exploitative cinema that came out in the period after that. It's not the film that Wes Craven set out to make, but he does save it from sinking to the bottom of the barrel through his ingenuity. Now, beyond the budget, production problems also abounded. Now, given the shoot that was in and around the swamp, the cast and crew were constantly having to deal with some pretty nasty creatures around them. There were a lot of bugs, snakes, alligators, not to mention the water was filled with bacteria and poisonous plants that were around the area that the actors and crew were perpetually surrounded by. The water was especially bad for the rubber suits and the makeup. It caused them to have to be reapplied and repaired on a continual basis. And days were hot. They were very humid, and that didn't help at all either. Now, that budget still was also getting gutted, and that really did not help morale. People were miserable there, and it just got worse and worse as the days passed. The perpetual rewrites, accelerated shooting schedule that caused them to work long hours, and it really caused them to be unable to shoot crucial scenes in multiple takes. The film ended up suffering as a result. The crew even ended up walking out several times, and in fact, tried to, but ended up getting wrangled back. They had to endure those long days with little pay, in a very extremely unappealing environment. You know, compounding this, the death of Louis Jordan's son during the production also kept that actor from interacting much with the rest of the crew and the other actors when he didn't have to come deliver his lines. So a little bit more tension there. Swamp Thing is perhaps too uneven in its delivery to give a recommendation to most people, but it's also so odd that it merits recommending to some who like offbeat action films, especially done in a daringly campy style like this, there really aren't many places that one could go with the material except for Swamp Thing to perpetually have to find ways to save Alice from harm, which really is not terribly interesting to see happen repeatedly through the second and third parts of this film. And even Wes Craven himself admitted that he felt that the film was pretty bad, at least for his standards. And he felt at the time after making the film that he probably would never work again. In fact, he didn't work for a couple of years after that. But one thing of note, some critics have championed the film, including most notably Siskel and Ebert on their show. They gave a two thumbs up when it was released. They called it a good film of its kind. But I would encourage you, if you haven't seen this film, to not watch Siskel and Ebert's review until after you've actually watched the movie, because the clip that they show is from a key moment at the end of the film that I think some people might consider a spoiler. Now, as far as the film goes, at least financially, it didn't really perform especially well at the box office. I think it made its money back, though, at the very least. But it did find a much more welcome reception on the home video market, where it would prove to be a lucrative repeat rental. It gained enough of a following to warrant a much campier sequel back in 1989, seven years later. And despite the growing audience for Swamp Thing, DC's title of the same name, they tried to bring it back in order to tie it in with the movie. It was something that didn't really take hold. But future esteemed comic author Alan Moore ended up retooling the character and turning the title around a few years after the release of this film into the theater 
with his work in the revamped DC title Saga of the Swamp Thing, and that was very notable in terms of bringing the character back to the public conscience. Over the years, many people have tried to remake it. You know, it was a TV show in the early 90s, at least a couple of TV shows in the early 90s. Guillermo del Toro has reportedly also wanted to remake the film for many years and eventually morphed some of the ideas that he had for that Swamp Thing film into his best picture winner of last year, The Shape of Water. Wes Craven would also hit another groove around the same time with the release of his most well-known film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, so he did pretty well after this. Of course, as you know, Wes Craven's history in cinema. I will be covering more of his films as we go along on this podcast. All in all, I'm not somebody who can really proclaim this as a recommendable film for most people. However, I do think that there's an audience that will really enjoy this, especially people who like this kind of movie. Like I said, Cisco and Ebert said it was pretty good of its kind. You just have to like its kind. So if you like that kind of movie, perhaps you will enjoy Swamp Thing more than most. Campy, low-budget, B-movie, you know, you name it. If you're in that bag, certainly give Swamp Thing a try. If you're a Wes Craven fan, I'm sure you don't consider this one of his best films, but at least you're probably a little bit more tolerant of what he's tried to bring here and admire him for what he managed to do given the circumstances. Now, all in all, I'm going to give Swamp Thing two and a half stars out of four. So two and a half stars on my scale means that it was a close call for me. I can't quite recommend it in a general sense, even though I do think in a targeted sense there are people who would like this kind of movie. It's definitely worth giving a spin if, if the movie still sounds of appeal to you. But there are a lot of things to admire, and given the premise, this certainly could have been a lot worse, if not for the talent of the director and writer, Wes Craven, as well as his actors. So thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button and you'll continue to get this podcast as I further journey into the films of the 1980s. I also want to remind you I do another podcast review show called The Quipster Film Review Podcast. You can do a search for it wherever you're listening to this right now and you'll likely find it. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W, -W Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies.